On this episode, we talk the origins of the Microsoft Xbox, exclusive notes from a secret meeting between Microsoft and Sega, plus, why is Bill Gates holding a burger? All this and more on Sega Talk. SegaBits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Welcome to an all-new episode of Sega Talk, an extra special episode with me and my co-host, George. Ex-George. I'm an ex-man. Ex-George. The Duke. <laughs> the Duke. I'm, I'm Barry Type S, and you're, you're the Duke. So what are we going to be talking about on this show? We are talking about the Microsoft Xbox. Now, typically, we kick off with the memories from the Patreon supporter who picked it, because this is a Patreon pick from Joaquin Branch. However, he he came at it a little bit differently. He had a question that he wanted to pose to us that's actually going to be at the end of the episode. So we'll get to that. But right now, let's start the show. So released on November 15th, 2001, the Xbox was Microsoft's debut to the home console market with the Dreamcast being officially discontinued on March 31st, 2001, the Xbox, along with Nintendo's GameCube, which released in September 14th in Japan and November 5th in America, were never truly in direct competition with the Sega Dreamcast. So, George, do you think Sega fans look more fondly on the GameCube and Xbox because of the lack of competition with Sega? I would say a little bit yes, but, like, I don't know... At the time, did you see as a, like when I heard the Xbox coming into the console market? I think that was, in my opinion, the last raw for Sega. They were like, "All right, Microsoft, big money here." So, like, I guess in a way, they were in in a in like media hype. Does that make sense? Like, it wasn't out technically; it didn't eat any of right. its market share. But it definitely ate up those uh, fans. They really wanted to eat up the fans that left the Dreamcast at the time, those 9 million users. It was so obvious, too, at the time. Um, right. I mean, these these consoles were being announced maybe a year prior publicly when Sega had yet to announce it being discontinued. So it was almost kind of like, man, we're not doing well against the, the PlayStation 2. And this is me talking like as a fan, you know, yeah. like... Um, I hope the Dreamcast doesn't get discontinued. And then you hear, oh, GameCube. Oh, it looks a little... It looks like a kiddie box. I don't care. Oh, Microsoft. It has a hard drive. It has Ethernet. Mmm. This is... <laughs> unless they make a new Dreamcast console, like a Dreamcast, like, version 2 or something, I don't know if we're gonna... Oh, okay, they discontinued it. I see. <laughs> you know, it's... It's that sort of thing. I mean, at the time, did you feel any animosity towards Nintendo or Microsoft? Uh, not really. I think, personally, to me, the way I see the console wars, it's like the more competition, the better. Um, Sega obviously didn't do great decisions, and they were in financial... Like, they didn't have enough money to continue this console race, so it made sense for them right. to leave. I don't think Microsoft was the last nail. I'm sure it didn't help that it was a third console coming. I mean, a fourth console coming out. Uh, it, it eats up more right. of the market share. But I mean, right. 
at the same time, though, I, I really enjoyed Sega's output on the Xbox. So to me, after a while, I actually really enjoyed the Xbox. I think we'll be talking about it, but the first few years of the Xbox's life were like... It was kind of weird because I don't think Microsoft actually had a direction for the console. So they kind of went all out. Mm. Like They wanted to have Japanese games. They wanted to have silly games. They wanted to have their shooting games, sports games. They like they were thinking the way Sega thought on the Dreamcast early on in Xbox. And I feel like lately, as a brand, they've been kind of like, oh, we know what people like. You know, It's like McDonald's now. Back then, it was like anything mm. goes. It was a buffet of games. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's talk about the origins of the Xbox. So we have this beautiful graphic here of the Direct X logo. Oh yeah, um, which kind of looks like a radio radioactive logo. Um, I'll be quite honest. I was like looking for anything interesting about Direct X to look at. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not a thing you can really look at. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, Microsoft, you know, as you know, at this time they were really well known for their PCs. They still are. Uh, which served as platforms to play Microsoft games like Flight Simulator and Age of Empires. So, you know, this was PC gaming, but one could argue Microsoft already had a, a hardware and they already had games. So it's not too crazy to think that they would eventually enter the console market. But before they got there, there was the creation of DirectX, which was an application programming interface which allowed for direct access to computer hardware, which basically bypassed Windows. So in effect, your PC was acting kind of like as an equivalent home console by directly running games developed for the hardware. And in 1999, with the debut of the PlayStation 2, this really got Microsoft's attention because to them it appeared that Sony was attempting to create a home console that would ultimately replace the home computer. Um, Microsoft CEO at the time, um, you know him, Billy G, uh, he saw this as a threat, and so he decided to enter the home console market to compete with Sony. And, I mean, Microsoft at the time, it was not entirely new to home consoles. Um, As you can see here, (laughs) we know as Sega fans that, uh, you know, any Dreamcast owner that has a Dreamcast knows that the Windows CE logo is on there. So in the U.S. and uh, I believe in the U.K. it was compatible with Microsoft Windows CE, and in Japan it was designed for Microsoft Windows CE. I never understood the reasoning behind that that verbiage. Like, I guess if it's designed for, that's a little confusing, because you're like, like the hardware is designed for it? Like, every game? But instead, compatible with makes a little more sense. Um... And, you know, essentially Windows CE didn't get utilized too often. I'm trying to think of a game that really stands out to me. Nothing, really. Um, But essentially, uh, also prior to the PS2's announcement, Gates also approached Sony's CEO to talk about Microsoft developing programming for the console, which was ultimately declined by Sony. So as you can see here, like... Microsoft was kind of dipping their hands in the Dreamcast. They were trying to do something with Sony. Um, But, I mean, at this point, the enemy of my enemy is my friend could apply to Sega and Microsoft. So do you think Sony inadvertently helped create the Xbox by declining Microsoft's offer to uh, develop the programming language for the console? 
you know what probably and um i think also microsoft saw that like there was an avenue in this like console war like i feel like nobody really took sega and what they set out to accomplish seriously and i think we'll talk about it later with the notes we have of the xbox live but like there was mm-hmm. Xbox Live was literally why people bought an Xbox for the longest time. It had the best online interface. You paid for it, sure, but you had so many options that other consoles didn't have. That I think Sony not taking the online series and declining this is two of the things that set them up to be like, you know what, let's do it. I mean, these people obviously, uh, you know, Japanese people sometimes are a little ignorant. You know, like. They don't. They don't. They're not open to ideas. You know, we've seen that with Saturn, with Sega too. It's not just Sony. Um, so yeah. Right. What do you think? It's interesting though that well, it's interesting that Sega was so receptive to Windows. Like I'm kind of surprised that it was put right on the front of the console. It wasn't talked about too much. Mm-hmm. And I remember as a kid, I was like, so what is that? Is this for the web browser? You know, like I thought it was like the web browser ran off of it or something, but. Um, in my mind, it, I, I believe it was more just it made it easy for them to port select games to the Dreamcast, yeah. correct? Yeah, we, we talked about it a yeah. bit on our Dreamcast episode that we did. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was basically a way for them to easily port DirectX games, from what I've known. But from what mm-hmm. my notes told me, if I remember correctly from that episode, was that it was way slower than doing it natively the way, with the, the way Sega did it. So it wasn't really used all that much. And uh, hmm. but I think I don't know Half Life maybe would be one of them that did, never released that I think was using this uh, technique, but I, I'm not really that sure on it. But yeah, yeah. And so in it, you bring up Direct X. So in 1998, actually, it was the members of the Direct X team that began the process of creating a console for Microsoft, um, which would run off the Direct X technology. And the project was actually codenamed Midway. And before you get excited, we're not talking about, like, the game studio. It was actually named after the battle for Midway during World War II, which referenced a battle where American forces defeated the Japanese. So it's really on the nose. Like, they they must have been PO'd at uh, Sony (laughs) and the Japanese um, for turning their backs on them because they're like, all right, well, we're going to beat you then. Here's the Midway. Um, So during the first development meeting... Issues like boot time was discussed, and it was agreed that the console would run on Windows 2000 using DirectX 8.1. So this would allow for easy porting of PC games to a home console. And uh, there was actually surprisingly some internal competition with the DirectX team. Um, as a recent Microsoft acquisition called Web TV oh, uh, thought thought the project should be built from the ground up on Windows CE. So, I mean, right here, it's already looking like trouble, if you know how that turned out for the Dreamcast. Um, And the DirectX team pretty much disagreed and thought PC components should be used and that the console should have a hard drive. And this led to dueling pitches, which were presented to Bill Gates in May of 1999. And the Web TV team wanted a cheap appliance using a custom-made graphics chip well, the DirectX team wanted a PC hard drive, um, which would set the console apart from the competition and allow for easy um, online access. And Gates agreed with the DirectX team, um, and it was the ability to port PC titles that won 
the DirectX team permission to create the console. So, I mean, let's let's step back to that web TV pitch. So, can you imagine a alternate world where a cheap web TV produced Microsoft Windows CE console released? And I mean, I kind of already know the answer here, but do you think it would have been a success? No, because I think the biggest success. <laughs> I mean, it, okay, so I think it did. I think the Xbox was number two in when it came out. So like, it, it dethroned mm-hmm. Sega and Nintendo right away. Well, that's a big success for a new console. And I think the biggest reason right. for that was because it was literally the best console to buy any third party game on. Like. It was actually kind of amazing when you see something like San Andreas on PS2 versus San Andreas on Xbox. It's like, it looks right. totally different. So, yeah, um, they did a good job here. Um, as for web TV, do you remember that? Because I remember when I was a kid, uh, people used to talk smack about the Dreamcast and go, it's just a web TV. No, it's not. It's not a web It, may play ga- it plays games, good games, too. Um, <laughs> also, the, the fact that they had two console people uh, competing and building... Reminds me a lot of the Dreamcast and the Katana and Black Belt, where they also had two different consoles being built by different people. In one, I think one was American and one was in Japan. Sato is the one that won, obviously, because he makes every Sega console. But yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I just I think of like I mean I don't know the hardware of like the the Pippin. Mm. Um, or even like the 3DO or the Philips CDI, which I actually own one of. But it just, it kind of feels like if you want to come in and compete with the big boys, you don't go on the cheap. Mm-mm. Like it really sounds like if they made this console, it probably would have maybe been on par with the GameCube. And not to like slam the GameCube, but like if you are Microsoft, who is known for your PCs, uh, you know. It was a joke, not a joke, but it was a reality at the time that PC games just looked better than console games. So to come in and be like, look at our console, and everyone looks at it and they're like, this is Microsoft? This looks terrible. Like, just, it would have been such a stupid idea. And I I mean, I kind of see where these web TV guys are coming from, but it's just not how you do it. And as you will soon learn, like, Microsoft went into this to lose. Oh, just so they could just so they could inevitably win like they kind of knew they were making setting themselves up for failure i think um because i honestly you have to have the money to buy into this and and maybe fail not fail but lose money to make money mm. if that makes sense yeah so i mean i'm i'm jumping ahead of myself but i just i feel like i have a lot more respect for microsoft now having known what they did and where they've gone since then um, you, you should. It's interesting. You should put a little note that you're you're a Mac fan. You're not a PC f- fan or anything, and you have right, respect. Yeah, for like them. I'm not a PC fanboy. I I grew up. I did grow up with. I first had an IBM computer. Then we had a Windows 95, uh, Windows 2000, and then I moved on to Mac from there on. Like you know, OS X I think was when I I started with Macs. So I'm not like a, a PC or Windows fanboy. I'm just kind of like I don't know. I am who I am. Um, so as that design process began after the DirectX team uh, got permission to create the console, it soon became apparent that uh, rather than use a third-party manufacturer, Microsoft would have to manufacture the console themselves. And this actually made the project far more costly and gave the project the name Coffin Box, mm. <laughs> as internally it was thought to be a career-ender for anyone associated with it. 
And then it gets worse because on Valentine's Day 2000, there was a meeting called the Valentine's Day Massacre, Oof. where the news was broken to Gates that the machine would not provide a direct Windows interface. So at this time, like Bill Gates thought this thing would be booting up and you would have some form of Windows on it. Like instead of having uh, the menu screen we got, it would, I guess, be like a point and click interface, maybe. Um, That's so crazy. And he was, it's crazy, but he was upset about it because in his mind, he was like, we are bringing Microsoft into the home, onto the television set. Why are we pushing our brand to the side? And I mean, it, it, it really pissed him off. And it also was coupled with a new cost proposal that just made him furious. And so between that and marginalizing the Windows brand, he was just super upset. And it wasn't until Gates was reminded that they had to compete with Sony, that he cooled off and approved the console, along with the new CEO, Steve Ballmer. Oof. So if we can do the... Should I do, do it? it? Should I do the Steve do Ballmer? It. Let's do it. Yeah! <laughs> You're okay, dude? <laughs> You're okay. I'm fine. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah, so Steve Ballmer, he is a nut. He's a nut job, but he's a smart guy. So um, I got to give him that. But like Bill Gates, and it's so interesting to see Bill Gates here every step of the way with the development of the Xbox, because to me, the Xbox seems like the most un-Microsoft, un-Bill Gates product I've ever seen. And I mean, it shows here that behind the scenes, he was like, no, make it, make it a Windows PC for your home. And like, Sony's coming in here, and they're like, the PlayStation 2, check out this sweet interface. And then he's like, you point and click. You exactly, know? Like, yeah. It's like, <laughs> like, I get what he's trying to get to, because, like, tell me it wouldn't be a pretty big selling feature that, like, you could literally use Photoshop on Xbox. Because I'm pretty sure he saw the Dreamcast, and he's like, it has a web browser. It could save pictures. Right. I could see him trying to be like, why don't we do that? Right. I mean, I, I could see him maybe thinking it would be a like uh, more TV-friendly Windows interface, and then you could have the option to have more like applications, web stuff, which is, like, honestly, I actually kind of like that stuff. Like, I really like the Dreamcast web browser. I'm actually a big fan of the Philips CDI um, because it was not initially marketed as a gaming, pe- gaming machine. Like, when Angry Video Game Nerd does this video, everyone's like, oh, look at that shitty console. But it was never sold as a console. It was like, hey, here's a machine that has uh, educational software, music, plays CDs, has some games, plays VCDs, plays um, basically any CD format that existed at the time. And so that, I mean, and it even had a point-and-click interface when you started it up. So I, I feel like that's where Gates was coming from. But that's not who you're competing against, and that's not what you're trying to create. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what did they try to create? So we got to look at this Xbox prototype, and this will come up again later. So this is the original prototype hardware from March 10th, 2000. I don't know what's with this broken English. Announced with Bill Gates, but look at this thing. What I mean, describe it for look people on audio. It's basically a big silver so X. So it looks, right, it looks like if you made the letter X. No, it looks like the X-Men uh, X with like a like the the when the doors close and there's that little thing that yes that rotates but not only it looks just like but that but it's like super deep it's like even photoshop you made the the shadow too big it's like you made this too 3d 
right? Extrude and bevel. Yeah. Like, it's just massive. And I'm trying to think. It looks like a table almost, too. And so to pick it up, you'd kind of have to scoop into the side on the X part and lift it. Like, it. obviously, it's a prototype. I don't think they ever intended to sell them like this. But it's it's just a kind of funny look for Imagine it. Imagine you could um, put two Dreamcasts on this thing. On the, on the two X's. You could, actually. It's a nice Dreamcast stand. Um but believe it or not, actually, looking at this, this wasn't a contentious design decision. The, desi- the design decision that was contentious was the inclusion of an Ethernet port, which was not as common at the time. But, and this is why I think it's really cool, they argued that this future-proofed the machines and would allow players to later enjoy increased Xbox Live functionality. It was also mentioned um, when they were defending Ethernet that, sure, you know, you're going to be seeing kids buy this, but they're going to go off to college shortly thereafter. After bring it with them, their college is going to have Ethernet. When they move to a home, they might bring this with them. Their home's going to have Ethernet. So you have to think like four or five years ahead. And honestly, that was kind of me. I got the Xbox in 2001. I graduated college in, or I graduated high school in 2003. And I brought this with me, and it was one. It was the only console I had that I could hook up to my school's network. Mm. You know, and then when I when I would visit my friend, we would have they would mod their Xbox and like download games from the internet onto it. Um, and I remember having just an awesome Halo session with some friends of mine. Yeah. So I mean, this this they were thinking ahead, and I and I love that. And and I'll I'll hold off until I talk about this being the Dreamcast too Ooh. to some people, but. I'm where I fall on that will be the surprise, but I will say that this is a very kind of Sega thing of, for them to do to include Ethernet, just as Sega included the modem in every console. Um, I just kind of am sad that the Ethernet uh, attachment for the Dreamcast was so like R- limited yeah, in production to the point where it's like one hundred fifty dollars or two hundred dollars. Limited now. run it's games ridiculous. need to do a limited run broadband adapter. There you go. <laughs> Um, so the console's name actually also had a number of options, including some funny acronyms. So I'm going to go through these. Uh, first one's WEP, which is the Windows Entertainment Project. I really think they're going for NES kind of mm. things or SNES, and it just didn't work out. There's the MTG, which is the Microsoft Total Gaming. There's the Mind, which I don't, I don't mind. Yeah, I don't mind. Uh, Microsoft Internet, Interactive Network Device. That's not bad. I mean, I don't think it would sell... But it's kind of Dreamcasty, you know, like if they expanded on that called like the Mindgate. I don't know. Um, Mike, <laughs> MIC, the Microsoft Interactive Center, um, also considered was Direct Xbox, yeah. as well as internal joke names like the XXX box and the Direct XXX box, which referenced the console's more mature slant in its library of games. And. Believe it or not, uh, the name Xbox actually came through email correspondence. So internally, the project was referenced so much that it was just faster to say Xbox in written in written communications. Um, however, from there, spelling ver- variations came out about, so like lowercase x, uppercase b, lowercase o, lowercase x, uppercase x, lowercase b, lowercase o, uppercase x, and then uh, uppercase x, uh, dash b. B-O-X, lowercase. And, I mean, coming from Segabits, you and I know full well that there's a lot of different ways to write it, but we landed on capital S-E-G-A and then lowercase B-I-T-S as one word. Just because it looks... 
it looks like the logo. Yeah. So it, it <laughs> yeah, works, yeah, yeah. you know. But we still get people like we'll be like, oh, we're in a magazine, and it'll be like the fine folks at Sega space uppercase B lowercase ITS, and I'm like, eh. thanks for mentioning <laughs> us, but yeah, thanks for the but mention. actually yeah. we're gonna get all nerdy on them. Actually, I, um, I was gonna say out, out of all these like yeah. Uh, like, I mean, this is going to be the question, but I mean, what do you prefer? I mean, I'm assuming the triple X box, right? I love that. Well, do you remember the Simpsons episode where uh, Cletus's kids, I think, were like, come on. They were like, uh, give me back my Xbox. And they're like, it's my sex box. And her name is Sony. Remember that? <laughs> no, I don't remember that. That's great. Um, um, I would either go... If I couldn't pick Xbox, I'd probably go with what I was mentioning, like with the acronym, like M-I-N-D or something, like that spells a word. I don't like mic because it sounds like a mic interface, like you plug a yeah. three and three quarter into a hole. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> MTG sounds like um, like you're having a meeting. You're like, oh, I can't make it to the MTG. Well, what's your opinion on the xbox like because when it came out i was a little like man this is kind of cheesy it's kind of like you know generation x you know that wrestling you know the bad boy image the you know what i'm talking about right the wrestling yeah. characters but i mean at the time it worked because that was like peak like x games extreme skating That's what i'm saying it's from that era um, you know what i'm saying i'm surprised it didn't like age badly because i don't think people talk extreme anymore you know what i mean it was back in the era no i it's funny they i think if anything they kind of because they now use a more like calm font yeah you can say xbox but it doesn't read as extreme no. because it looks so like clean and fancy yeah, yeah. um but get this so the microsoft marketing team actually had some suggestions and i'm as someone who has been on a variety of marketing teams i'm i'm sad to see these as the worst. So there's the 11X, like the number, or E-L-E-V-E-N-X. What? Where does the 11 come from? This is the... Stupid. Um, and I have to imagine the, these are the same people that named the Xbox 360 and the Xbox One. Because those numbers don't make sense either. I was hoping they got fired. But... <laughs> like, that's what I was hoping. But they... I mean... Why is it called the 11X? It really makes. It sounds like Seven Eleven. It really makes the uh, Zune name come like seem like one of the best names ever created for a product. When you're going to name something Eleven X, like the first product, right? And I mean, I will admit, I really like Xbox 360 as a name um, because it evokes like um, uh, Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Like it's just a cool number, and 360 has like. It comes full circle, yeah. Which which is actually in the logo, yeah. like when when it has that circle and like room and the little circles go around. Like I love that. But then when Xbox One came out, I and I'm sure you yeah. were like, "What the hell? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> Why?" Because didn't they do like a whole conference? Okay, first of all, this is back when Microsoft made a mistake. I think they fired the whole team that did the whole Xbox One launch, but. Their whole thinking was, this is the only Xbox you'll ever need, the Xbox One. And so the idea right. would be that it's backwards compatible. And But, like, the thing is, they really just pushed, in my opinion, you know, when they did the thing, they should have pushed the whole idea that this is the only Xbox you'll need and it would be upgraded. 
Ex, ex, you know, ex, but they did the whole like, oh, it right. has a camera and it has voice control. And at the time, people were kind of getting tired of motion controls and voice controls, so the, it was kind of weird. I mean, I'll admit, I I don't mind the current branding for the new the new consoles they have, the Xbox Series S and Series X. The problem is, is that Xbox One exists. Like, if they could just do away with that, then it would really go Xbox, Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty. Xbox Series X or S, like you pick yours, and it's like them going back to the original naming convention, where they don't have the stupid one, you know? Yeah. Um, and I say that as someone who actually owns an Xbox One X and really likes it, like as a console, um, because of all the backwards compatibility. But like the name, I hate it. Um, let's talk about something else I hate. So let's bring up the controller one, here. One so of the best. we have a photo. <laughs> we have a photo of the original Xbox controller and then the uh, successor to it, which came shortly thereafter. So the console's controller, which was notoriously large and was given the nickname the Duke, was um, was came about actually when the supplier, which was uh, Mitsumi Electric, uh, who had worked on the DualShock 2, refused to give a circuit board in a folded and stacked design. So thus, <laughs> Japan screwed the Baka Gaijin Americans over, leading to the only option being a bulky controller design. So eventually, Microsoft had the compact board made, and the controller S debuted with the Japanese launch and in America. Uh, notable to Sega fans, the controller S was included in an Xbox bundle that actually included JSRF and Sega GT. So uh, have you ever held a Duke or do you own a Duke? I don't own a Duke because uh, when I got the, the Xbox, it was like a few years into its life cycle. Like I waited for all the Sega games I wanted to come out and then I'm like, now I'll buy right. the console. They finally came out. Like, don't trick me, you know? But um, <laughs> I my friend bought one when it came out. His brother bought it. And so he had the Duke controller. Yeah. So I played it. You know what? Like, when you start holding it and stuff, it actually feels pretty good. But when you see it, it actually looks really massive and, like, ridiculous. It almost looks like a right. cartoon. Like, this is not real. This is like a third-party controller, right? Right. It, it reminds me of the third-party Dreamcast exactly. controllers. Because I know a lot of people complain about the Dreamcast controller. I love it. I think it feels great in my hands. But I have used the... There's the third-party ones. I don't know the Astro, company. Maybe. But they're almost round, okay. right? I think, so. I think you know what you're talking about. Yeah, they're like almost circular, and you feel like you're holding a wheel. It's so bizarre. And with the with the Duke, it, it billows outward, so it feels weird. You're almost holding like a ball in your hands. But over time, it is really comfortable, and I've never owned one. I kind of want to just to have one because I do have a, an Xbox. Um, but yeah, I was a controller S kid. I got the Jet Set Radio Future and Sega GT bundle, which to this day... I think is one of the strongest pack-in bundle consoles, I think, ever. Just because it has a great controller, it has a console with a hard drive, and it comes with two awesome Sega games. You could buy that and be good for like six months. You would not have to buy <laughs> really any games for a long while. And I actually didn't. I got the um, I got that bundle, and I think I got Halo, which was on sale by that point. Oh, yeah. And that's all I had for like the first six months. Um yeah, so I mean, good on them. Uh, how does it stack up to the Dreamcast or DualShock 2 pad? I I can't really say. I'm not a huge DualShock 
fan to fan uh. no i um i mean by the time this goes out the uh the review will be up for uh sonic colors ultimate so i'm not breaking ndas here but it feels weird to me to play sonic games on a playstation controller because i'm so used to my thumb being up here and it's kind of down here mm. you know what i mean for it's the just joystick? that subtle placement is yeah that subtle placement's like kind of foreign to me um, so to go back again to the Dreamcast and, and Xbox comparisons, the Xbox controller to me, I prefer for Sonic games just because the Dreamcast pad has made me so used to my thumbs being up here that it's it's not impossible for me to play on a PlayStation, but it's just preferred to play on a Microsoft pad. Um, I'm an... So that's that's talk that's controller. yeah. I was gonna say I'm adaptable. You know, I like the DualShock controllers. Fine. Yeah. Um, I hate the D-pad that they you know they separate the D-pad by uh you know I don't like it either of these D-pads. I I would say the Xbox one is at least a circle D-pad. Um, the joysticks though, I agree with you. Like, it depends on the type of game you're playing. If I'm playing a first-person shooter, I definitely kind of like like uh the Xbox controller. But if I'm playing something like uh. Uh, I don't know, like a ball rolling game or something. I like the idea that those two st- sticks are so close to each other. Right. So it depends on the type of game right. or something, or what or what it is. But definitely for more of the 3D games, I think the Xbox has closer to the Dreamcast, like you said. So it just made it feel like oh, like I've never left or skipped a beat. I'm just it's a new Dreamcast controller. It kind of felt like even the colors. Right. The only the colors the colors throw me off though because if I remember correctly the Dreamcast is it's opposite, isn't it? Isn't it red? Yeah, it's like red, blue, yellow, green. I could be wrong. And then and then for the for the and I'm I'm going from like A B it's A B X Y, which is both of them have A B C X Y Z and but the colors are off. But it makes sense because they put green first because that's the mm. Xbox color. But still, it, it throws me off. I cannot, to this day, do the Sonic Unleashed um, QTEs correctly, because my mind still goes to the Dreamcast colors. Oh, yeah. Oh, well. I, I don't use... I, I try to <laughs> memorize it, but you're, yeah, the colors are really weird the way they did it. It's like... Yeah. But the, I think the A, B... Let me see. A, B, X, Y is the, it's the same, though. Like, they did the... Or it's a little... I think they might have... The X and Y, they might have mixed it up on the Xbox... But it's basically like yeah, the Dreamcast, so the, kind of. Right. So the Dreamcast, the the bottom two are A B, and it's red and blue, and then the upper two are X Y, which is yellow and green, and that works just like the Saturn pad with A B X Y, but missing those uh, that third set of buttons, which is A B C X Y Z. So it makes sense for the Dreamcast to do that because that's following all the way back to the Genesis with. The ABCXYZ, and then the Microsoft one, the Xbox. They stick with the lettering, which again, as a Sega fan, is great for me. But then they switch up the colors by going: uh, A is green, B is red, X is blue, yellow is Y. It's bizarre. So <laughs> one more. Th- it's just a mind. One game. thing that these controllers have that no other Xbox or even any other company controller has is these black and white buttons. You remember these? I do, yeah. So um, they they really moved the placement around, though. So on the Duke, they were actually almost like, like they were uh, C and Z, buttons. which kind of made made it look like they were like a uh, six button controller, like the Saturn or something. Kind of like they wanted to maybe do it. 
Yeah, and then they move them oddly down below the A, B, X, Y buttons on the controller S, which almost makes them like secondary uh, start and like, what are they called? Mode? Oh, start and back. Um, So it's start, back, yellow button, or white button, black button. And I'll be honest, when you're looking at the UI, like for a game, like press the blank button and they show you a picture of a white dot, you're like, what is that? Oh, that's a button. <laughs> what? Or or even more difficult, push the round black circle and you're like, what? Oh, the, like they should have given them names. I don't know why they didn't give them they discon- letters or words. They discontinued it too. It's like, they it was a mistake obviously, but like that's not something I hear anyone talk about ever, the black and white buttons. I think if people even like talked, you told someone about them, they'd be like, what? What are you talking about? Are you making things up? <laughs> we should photoshop them out and share the pad and see if anyone noticed <laughs> probably not <laughs> i'll just say who loves the controller s and i'll put it out there and people are like oh me and if anyone says where's the white and black buttons they're a robot <laughs> and they will be killed um <laughs> so going back to the development here we have this beautiful grainy photo from gdc 2000 Ooh, Bill, this is with the leather jacket Woo! this is Actually, the first unveiling of the concept of the Xbox being a real thing. However, Bill Gates being Bill Gates, uh, he would mention it throughout 1999 in interviews. Um, George Lucas did this a lot, too, where he'd be, like, giving an interview and out of nowhere he'd be like, Yeah, so when we do the Blu-ray, which, you know, I mean, they wanted to keep it a secret, but whatever you know like he would just he would just drop stuff um bill gates would just be like yeah when we make the xbox game console but then when he took the stage at the uh, 2000 gdc he was showcasing as we saw that prototype build with the big silver x um and a series of demos and developers actually they were very impressed by the hard drive and ethernet port so again a smart move on microsoft's part to put something in there that that developers understand like it's I'm, I'm trying to think of like the the opposite of this and it would be the wii u uh when they were like presenting the wii u and they show the gamepad and people are like oh that's a I, that's a pretty cool wii accessory huh okay oh that's neat i already own a wii so i'm getting like an upgraded gamepad no and here at least microsoft takes the stage and they're like hard drive ethernet port and everyone knows what they're talking about. So in the early 2000s, Microsoft actually began to make acquisitions and form partnerships. So with Dreamcast sales diminishing, Gates was actually in talks with Sega chairman Isao Okawa about the possibility of Xbox Xbox compatibility with Dreamcast games, but negotiations fell apart because it could not be decided if Sega Net services should be implemented. Um... So let's let's talk about this briefly. So how do you think this sort of technology would even be implemented? Like, would the Dreamcast be on a chip? Because they talked about that a lot. I don't know if it was ever actually done. I don't think it was ever done. I think that one of the rumors we heard back in the day, the whole Dreamcast being a, a DVD player or being in your TV right. when you buy them, which is, it's cool. Right. But... To me, it always felt during this time that Sega was... I think even Sega even came out and said that this is their last console, like, during the Dreamcast. Right. That So, to me, it would be like, okay, so if you're going to kill it at this point, you might as well just, like, let them 
play Dreamcast games and just make the rest of your games thinking about Xbox technology? I mean, at that point, if you're going to be that in to the fact that they're going to be playing your old games, all they could do is help right. your old games sell, right? And if they're going to implement SegaNet, they might as well just make you part of, uh, maybe not charge you on Xbox Live, but let them play online with other people that play Dreamcast. For the early times? I have, yeah, and I have to imagine, and this, remember, in, in the early 2000s, they were discontinuing, or 2001, they were discontinuing the Dreamcast, but Sega was still making money for another year or two from SegaNet. We had Fantasy Star Online, um, which came shortly before the announcement, and people were playing it well into, I guess, 2002, maybe 2003. Mm-hmm. So Sega still was seeing this as a source of revenue. They were still releasing new games, Recall that um, Sonic Adventure 2 actually released after the Dreamcast was really discontinued, right? So, mm. I mean, Sega were were definitely making money. And so to say, hey, to kind of future-proof the Dreamcast and still sell software, how about we make Dreamcast games compatible on the Xbox? I think Sega, it makes total sense for them to say, well, wait, how does the online work because if people are jumping ship from the Dreamcast for the Xbox and they're paying for Xbox Live, where's our money? And I think it would have been smart, and they've been doing this, I think, more recently, um, and you see it with a lot of companies where it's like, subscribe to T-Mobile and get Disney Plus for free. Yeah. So this is actually the, the cost. It's not like you're actually getting Disney Plus for free. They made a deal to bring on subscribers in exchange for something. So maybe... Maybe the return for Sega was like half the cost of what SegaNet costs, but none of the um, infrastructure. So, for example, let's say an Xbox is playing a Dreamcast online game. The game is using SegaNet, but on a Microsoft server. So they had like a dedicated SegaNet server at Microsoft. So Sega was getting money from Microsoft for their games to be played online, but Sega wasn't spending any money on the network involved with you know like that's just an idea but maybe they just couldn't decide on a price maybe they actually opened up to bill gates and they're like look the chip thing it's all talk right now you know it's not real Um, because we we interviewed with the dreamcast magazine the official dreamcast magazine magazine folks in i think swing and report show number 50 and we asked them we kind of grilled them we're like have you seen the DVD player. Have you seen any of this chip technology? And they were like, no, and we think it was all fake. just prototype. Not even like, it wasn't fake, but it was just like for yeah. show, like a concept, point of concept. Like it's doable, just like the um, VMU with the MP3 player in it. It's doable, but it was never done. It was just like someone brought it up and they made a mock-up and that was about as far as it went. I think the best way um, it would have worked out for Sega is if, if people were playing Sega games and they signed up for Xbox Live Arcade because of a Sega game, maybe they should have gotten a cut out of it. If you actually look back at how many Xbox regular games actually played online, they weren't amazingly mm-hmm. amount. Like it wasn't like every game was playing online. It was like it, it, no. it was better than GameCube for sure, but it definitely wasn't. And better than PlayStation yeah, for too, sure. For but sure. I think Dreamcast yeah. had a, a ton of online games already. Like I'm not. I'm, I think Xbox had more, but. I mean, after all, you know, five years, of course. But, like, um, for early on, though, they had a lot. Like, they could have brought those games over. 
Right, and I think that's the biggest loss because I feel like uh, the Dreamcast was introducing a lot of great online games that not many people played because it was so close to the end of the console's lifespan. I know I've played Ooga Booga, I've played Choo Choo Rocket, I've played um, Alien Front Online, but I could probably say I've played each of those games online a handful of times, if not like one or two times, because there were so many online games and there was so little time to play them. And I don't mean like I was busy. It was more like the console's services were ending in six Not months. Only that too. You know, like how was I going to play a bunch of Ooga Booga in six Did months? Did you have your own like dedicated <laughs> you know? uh, 56K line? Like that sucked too. And like people are like, your parents are like, oh, we're going to have a phone call. So no gaming oh. today online. It's like cool no i i didn't have a dedicated line but i did play so i i've discussed this in past episodes i broke the law i'm sorry but when net zero stopped being free i started going on to these websites that would share people's um, logins it wasn't login but yeah but it was like their isp info and then you would play under their account name i did that too um but i don't think i don't think they were ever charged Maybe I'm wrong. Ugh. I think it maybe ate into their hours, but they weren't being charged. I'm not sure. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so uh, at this time too, Microsoft, they were trying to acquire a lot of studios. And that's a, a big thing they've been doing again. Didn't they just get Bethesda? I think they've, they're like doubling down right now on it because they see themselves now like consoles were cool it seems like but it felt like microsoft wasn't in to spend billions at least into this but now that they see like video game netflix they get they're getting more excited i guess and yeah they're buying more studios like bethesda and uh ninja theory uh, a bunch of other studios so yeah so they they tried to acquire ea mm. they did try to acquire nintendo square enix and mid midway without success but they did manage to convince Bethesda and Tecmo to choose the Xbox over the PS2 for console exclusives. And Microsoft actually, uh, they rebranded their games group to be called Microsoft Games Division and tasked them with making both PC and Xbox games. And the biggest acquisition at this time was a little studio called Mungie, which had planned to release Halo Combat Evolved to the PC but it was later made to an Xbox exclusive to help drive sales of the console. And the console was officially unveiled by Bill Gates and The Rock at CES 2001 in Las Vegas on January 3rd, 2001. So uh, instead of talking about it, let's let's check this out. So bring, bring this beautiful oh, video up and we can laugh at it for a little bit. Let me see if you can hear it. Can you hear it? Wow. Oh, yeah. I can uh, hear. This is the product that will yes. be out uh, later this year. Ooh. Amazing amount going on. Uh, working with uh, partners who help build the hardware, working with the software developers, working with the retailers. The program around this thing is really quite phenomenal. But the box itself uh, is another thing that we've put a lot of energy into. Can we so see it? Uh oh, it's behind a velvet there. black uh, blanket. He's pulling it away. It's naked. <gasps> That big ass controller, oh. green middle. It wasn't green in the middle like that, was it? It wasn't that. No, green. it's like a different logo. You know, it looks like it. It said, has the it logo from the console on yeah. it. Driven by spending time with gamers, and I 
Yeah, look at that. Oh, that's wow. disgusting. <laughs> Spending time with gamers. They're sitting on the floor. Gamers don't sit. I don't sit on the floor. Sorry. So do you notice how the Xbox, like the one that we got, I is basically that, that, that concept version, but like knocked over, and then the X is filled mm, in? Yeah, you're right. Now, can you skip ahead to three minutes into the video? It gets really good. Right. Is this the one that with the rock comes out? Because I remember this because it was all over Hell G4. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll play it a little bit behind. We need a couple seconds to prepare our image. Here he is. Oh, my God. He has hair. What the fuck? I forgot he had hair. So... The Rock promoted the Dreamcast, the PlayStation 2, um, I believe the GameCube, and the Xbox. So he was a slut when it came to consoles. He had anyone who paid him, he would just go over there and promote their console. Isn't it weird that, like, here, I don't know how old The Rock is here, maybe in his 30s, 40s, I don't know. But, like, he looks really, really small compared to what he looks like today. Holy crap. He is 49 years old. Today. Not here. <laughs> okay, Today. Say, so, Holy shit. <laughs> so he was like 28. So isn't this supposed to be him in his prime right here? Why is he bigger yeah. now? It doesn't make any sense. I don't know. Being rich is awesome, dude. He loves it. Actually, <laughs> I like that the controller kind of looks normal. Next to the rock's hands. I know, right? He knows oh everything about Windows. Right. Holy shit. <laughs> okay, I get it. You can pause it. We get it. it. You, we get it. You're a big fan of the Xbox. We get it. We get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. All right. So let's get to the 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 big the big event of the episode here. So, um, yeah, so here we go. This is exclusive to us. I don't know why we got this. Someone out there anything. likes us. Um, so, yeah, so we, we received an email uh, back in, I want to say, 2018 from someone who said they, they were a former Microsoft employee. Um, well, let's read their email here. So it says, um, Hi. I was looking through my old hard drive and found a document from Microsoft. I used to work there back in the day of the original Xbox and Xbox 360, which has detailed meeting notes from when Microsoft met with Sega to find out what worked and what didn't work with SegaNet, and I'd be happy to send over a PDF of the doc to you to post. Just email me back and I'll send it over. Thanks. And we'll call him Mr. J. So, Mr. J, Mr. J <laughs> the Joker, yes, um, he sent this rather lengthy note of uh, uh, notes from a meeting. It's probably it's four pages, lots of bullets, um, and it essentially has a breakdown at the top. So, it's Sega meeting learnings from SegaNet, July sixteenth, two thousand one. Attached uh, is a compilation of notes from the Sega meeting that happened on Monday, July sixteenth. All in all, the meeting was generally positive, with Sega being more forthright in some areas than in others. For further drill down into each of these areas, go to the attendees Todd Roshak, Jennifer Booth, Michael Mott, Albert Pinello, Kelly Altum, Oliver Miyashita, Mike Lucero. 
Note the focus of this information is on their U.S. business. So if you guys want to see these notes in full, we're going to put them up on the Segabits Patreon. If you're a patron supporter at any level, you can view them. You can download a JPEG or whatever. But we're going to hold our cards close to our vest because we don't we don't get that many exclusives. And I've had someone reach out to me like, can you share it to the national historical? And I'm like, you know, like, if they want to support us on Patreon, they can have it. <laughs> what have they done for me lately? That's true. Um, <laughs> I agree. I feel like the Green Goblin in uh, <laughs> Spider-Man. He's like, what have they done? What have they done for me? <laughs> um, <laughs> and the investors are like stabbing him in the back. Uh, so this these meeting notes, they have breakdowns. So there's high-level learnings, which I can read through here. So they talk about what worked. So the PR and brand attribution um, by being the first to market was a big driver that created a tremendous amount of noise and consumer interest. So here... Um, Sega said really what worked for SegaNet was that they were the first. They were the first console to have uh, an online subscription service, and that drew a lot of consumer interest and noise. But what didn't work was <laughs> revenue from the ISP. So Sega was losing money uh, from the ISP. Um, learned their focus should have been leveraging their core competency in gaming and not being an ISP. And this is something you kind of noticed later on in SegaNet's life, I feel like they were originally pushing the web browser. I think it was, what was it? Uh, WorldNet or something? Like Planet there was some web. partner. Planet Web. Yeah, they were really pushing Planet Web in the U.S. And I think later on they were realizing they should have just pushing, been pushing uh, online gaming and not the fact that it's an ISP and maybe even find some third party to do more of that work. Uh, the biggest lesson Sega learned um, lacked an SSL to efficiently sign up consumers through the D- Dreamcast. And that's totally true. So you you could not sign up through the Dreamcast. You couldn't come home, plug your Dreamcast in, and sign up for SegaNet. You had some extra steps of either logging in through your home computer, uh, making a phone call. And how awesome would it have been to plug your Dreamcast into the phone line and it had like a dedicated server it would connect you to to set you up with your own uh, account. You know what? I never thought about this, but you're 100% right. You couldn't just do it through the console. And back then, I guess it, it just made sense, you know, when you do a cable service, you don't pay the cable through your cable box, right? You call the number, you said all of it. So right. coming from that, that mindset back in the day, you know, it makes mm-hmm. sense, but Microsoft's coming with, like, we want to take these people's money. We want to take it as fast as possible. We don't want to make them do work, like, call us. You know what I mean? It's like, once you get that call, right. you're like, do I really want to spend five bucks a month on this internet thing, <laughs> you know? Well, like, imagine imagine getting your iPhone, and the first thing it says is, all right, to set up your iPhone, call 1-800. And you're like, but wait, I don't have a phone, a phone. provider yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or go online. You're like, but wait, I don't have a computer. I'm using my phone. Um, another thing that they learned was not getting the credit card info up front killed them. Like, this surprises me. The fact that of all the problems Sega might have uh, encountered with SegaNet, not getting credit card info up front was what hurt them. <laughs> there you go. Um, and then the trends and keys for future success. So uh, Sega taught Microsoft that you needed kick-ass exclusive content exclusive to online, which 
Honestly, I think X, Xbox really took to heart and, and did well. Um, also, exclusive bonus stuff, including which is beyond head-to-head gameplay, which I think Sega attempted but really couldn't do because the limitations of the modem and and the lack of a hard drive. Like, mm. I recall Rayman 2 having, like, DLC, but it was really just, like, unlock keys for mini-games that were literally using assets from the um, uh, high-score stage. Do you remember that? Like, there were yeah. shooting games within Rayman that used the letters from enter-your-name <laughs> screens. Yes, yes. <laughs> Um, or in Shenmue, there was a ton of content that was there, but it was unlockable online but viewable on the disc. So, like, you could collect, like, every pigeon in the game, but it was only online. Um, and there's so much here. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much I can get through. I'd love, I'd love to do a deeper dive, but um, do you have the notes open to anything that jumps out to you? I actually don't even have the notes here. Can you send them to me? No. I can't. Oh, all right. Um, well, I have to no, support okay. you on Patreon. All right, I see. Yeah, you have to support For me $1 on Patreon. Of no, I'll, I'll read through a few things here. So they talk about marketing. That was one of the uh, one of the areas they focused on. Um, so Sega directed them that it was good to start with sports. People get it, and it's very conductive, uh, conducive to multiplayer. And I remember that NFL 2K was the number one game that Sega pushed time and time again. And as a kid and as a Sega fan, it kind of annoyed me because I'm like, where's the Sonic Online game? Like, why are you pushing this? But it worked. I mean, we saw rappers and rock stars driving around with tricked out cars, having Dreamcasts inside, playing NFL 2K. And that was the game everyone played. In fact, I think the Dreamcast kind of kicked off the trend of having the latest rapper playing the latest sports game online. I mean, yeah. That was a big thing. Definitely. Before that, it was it was retired football players promoting the game and holding the box up. And then as soon as the Dreamcast came out, it wasn't about like Joe Montana holding a, a copy of the game. It was about oh, we got like exhibit, you know, or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Not only that, like I, I, it, it works. Sports games work. We, we don't like them. I mean, obviously, it's not a hardcore gaming thing because when you go to like. If you go anywhere and you go see retro games, the cheapest games are going to be the sports games. Nobody wants them. But the, at the time, they were vital to making these consoles a success, like the Genesis early stuff and obviously Dreamcast with the 2K. So it makes sense. Right, exactly. And and they also mentioned that Quake was also good as it showed the PC gamers that they could have this type of experience on a console. So again, um, to bring over a very popular PC game, onto a console at the time i know some people were like quake i have that on my pc but it was a big deal to be like well now you have it on your home console and for years to get a good version of wolfenstein or wolfenstein 3d on a console was kind of like the holy grail and then when they finally did it with quake people were like oh this is sweet and then you get the controller and mouse attachments for dreamcast like I, I When I was growing up in my room, I had a little corner desk, and there was a 13-inch TV, and hooked up to it was my Dreamcast, and then sitting at a desk, just like I am right now, I had my, my Dreamcast keyboard in front of me, my Dreamcast mouse, and it was like literally having a computer in my room, but it wasn't a computer, so I would do like the equivalent of PC gaming, and I would have Fantasy Star Online. I would spend half my time on PSO 
having chat conversations with people and it was just like second nature for me because I'm like, oh, it's like I'm on a home computer, but I'm on my console here. And uh, PSO was actually brought up. It said PSO was also great as it had a strong following to begin with. So it had a group of that already attracted to it with ready to play and pay. Um, having the word online in the title was also a big plus and Sega felt okay with just lost, launching with one title but thought that when we launched we needed more as expectations were so high. So Sega coming out of the gate were like, we can do one major online title and be done for a while. And I feel like some companies like uh nintendo and sony did that like um what was the the online uh final fantasies game final fantasy 11 11 and 14 are both online yeah and so when 11 came out i remember that was the only game people talked about for the playstation 2 and i was like there's got to be more no isn't there and there really wasn't so to to sell this hard drive Metal Gear Solid 3 Online, maybe. for And then they shut mm. that down. It's like a lot of the games got shut down after a while for PS2. But you're right. 11 was crazy. But yeah. Right. And and I, it again, they talk about the marketing message. So Sega actually admitted to Microsoft that they felt they needed to be simpler than they were. So people did not get it. They kept talking about the ISP. And this is true. They talked a lot about how we're an inter- internet service provider. And that didn't appeal to people. But just to say, and Xbox does that now. Pay this amount, you play games online, multiplayer, and you get free downloads. Like, that's it. They don't go, if you pay for the Xbox Live Gold service, you receive an internet service provider, which will provide you with the ability to access the World Wide Web, including Planet Web and Web Browser. You know, like, that's that's like Bill Gates. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just boring and nerdy. Um, uh, demos, they talked about demos. Um, they made the point that sometimes the demos were not exciting. Two people playing head-to-head online is hard to capture in an exciting way. Like, look, he's really across the country. So um, they said, we really need to think about demos we will show over the next six months, uh, making sure that they show what we want. Um, also, do we want a sports demo? So it's interesting that they were drilling down to even these things. Like, when we show this off to people, is it interesting to say, look, you're playing a game with someone who's in another part of the world. Like, this is 2001. Like, it's not that interesting anymore. Um, I'm really excited to talk about this. So targeting media and programs was a key success factor. Their most effective marketing program was their sponsorship of Limp Biscuit and having Fred Durst be a credible spokesperson around the country for their core audience. So Sega was happy with that. Fred Durst. I, I do remember the event because I remember people in my school were, like, talking about it. They'd be like, do you hear that? I think it was Warped Tour. I don't know what it was he was on. But he's like, that they were doing this big event for Dreamcast during the whole tour where you would play Limbiscuit live on stage during, through the internet. That was the whole gimmick, I think, of their little marketing campaign. And he did the signing of mm-hmm. the Dreamcast consoles. I wonder if anybody still has one of those consoles that he signed. Or did they take away the... the they're like, oh, somebody wrote on this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen one as as recently as like five years ago on eBay. So it, it is a thing that happens. I don't think they sell for that much, though. Um, there's a whole section on content and community, which I'll skip because it's it's there's some interesting stuff there. But I want to I want to leave it for the kids to read. Uh, business model discussion was also a big thing. They talked about. Uh, the three things necessary for publishers to buy into online, which was technology, money, 
and belief in the vision of online gaming. So this was very early. They were trying to sell people on it. Nowadays, you don't need to come to a developer or a publisher and be like, so we have Xbox One. You can play games online. Mm. And they'd be like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. You know. Um, Let's see. Focus on folks that have done this before on PC. They get it and have a greater likelihood of getting it done. So like Ubisoft and Infograms were... Two examples that Sega said. So this is Sega being very open with Microsoft. The fact that they're like, here are people who make games for our consoles. You can go to them. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't seem like Sega, at least the people at this meeting, were upset with Microsoft. If anything, they were excited to tell them what they could do. They were almost like, here's our tools. Please go. Go do it. Um uh, they understood the business model and discussed specifics around World Series Baseball, which I believe uh, we had someone who worked on that game on our show. Uh, remember Kiyoshi Okuma? He had he had worked on World Series Baseball. Um, so there's a lot of like little interesting tidbits about that. Uh, finally, there was operations. So they talk about how Sega had eight data centers located in the U.S., um, and they located game servers and modems on these locations. They had a 200 millisecond transcontinental SL, SLA from the Genuity. This is a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Um, in the QOS guarantee they have, 70% of people who purchased Fantasy Star Online went online and played even th- though they could play single player. So basically they're saying people who bought PSO uh immediately went online, 70% of them, even though there was a single-player option there. I mean, I don't blame them because single-player is kind of boring with PSO, but that tells you something. That tells you that when people got PSO, they were very excited to use this service. Um, Peak hours of usage in a time zone, they found that traffic in a time zone started ramping up at 4.30 p.m. and went back down at 10.30 p.m., so that was the magic hour. Um, (laughs) <laughs> a top 10 customer question was, do I need to plug my Dreamcast into my PC? <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, and then there's some techie stuff, certification information, uh, miscellaneous stuff. Um, so namespace issues need to know that username is the whole thing. People tend to forget part of this. Um, I guess talking about have it display oh it's talking about how people will always forget their usernames so sega told them have their username always displayed when they log in so that when you log in you see barry nomad and i'll be honest this this happens to me because i can't log into discord from a web browser without bringing up my phone and looking up my username because my name on our discord is barry the copper because i'm like the admin so i'm the cop but it's not my username and I'd imagine Sega was like, please tell people their username because we get way too many phone calls of people just saying, I forgot my username. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see it. I mean, that stuff is obvious, but you wouldn't know if you don't trial and error, right? Right. And then finally, they did talk about Sega Channel very briefly, um, but I believe Sega told them that that was a different division, so they didn't have too much to say about it. However, they did say it did reasonably well and then piddled away. <laughs> that's so, it 
I mean, yeah. So that's that's. I mean, this is a lot of information. I'm sure there's some people that would really love to see this stuff. So, like I said, it's up on our Patreon. A dollar, throw us a dollar. You can look at it. Come on, come on. So that's that. Um, so from reviewing these notes, are you surprised by how much information Sega actually gave Microsoft? And do you see any areas where Microsoft actually took Sega's advice? Um, I, I mean, taking their advice, probably the name thing, you know, they really did make a big thing about your gamer tag. Like they made a huge deal that it crosses every game. So people don't have to remember Mm -hmm. their username. I think that was the big thing. Um, they also learned a lot from their mistakes, I would assume. Like, the whole, like, not getting your credit card up front was pretty dumb. Um, obviously, that's the first thing they do. I know a lot of people that don't even play Xbox that much, but they pay for the service for, like, years and years and years because they have their credit card on there and they forget to take it off. Right. So, stuff like that, that's always smart. Um, I think that's their, their biggest thing. Um but yeah, you could tell that they learned a lot. And you could also tell that Sega was giving them a lot because some of these people wanted to have a job uh, at Microsoft, and they <laughs> did. Some of those people got hired up. Um, some I of think the... you're absolutely right there. Yeah. yeah. They knew it was um, they were on a sinking ship, so they were trying to get the next one out. <laughs> I mean, that's that's got to be true. And, and speaking of Sega on Xbox, so let's bring up a little photo here I pulled from Reddit of just someone's collection. I don't know why Gun Griffin is there. Is there some Sega connection I'm not seeing? No idea. They Maybe. just threw it there. Um, but to kind of compete with that picture, I actually grabbed... So I went over to my shelf. I grabbed every game that Sega that I own that Sega worked on on the Xbox. So here's my first stack. So I've got um, Crazy Taxi 3, ESPN 2K5, which is actually... I'm not a big football guy, but if you're looking for an interesting game, pick this one up. I believe it's one of the last quote-unquote like 2K games that exists. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of really cool stuff. So there's uh, a VIP system. There is um, ESPN 25th anniversary mode where you can play classic NFL situations from over 25 years. There's the crib. Do you remember the crib? Yeah, I do remember. So you earn crib credits with every game you play and deck out your crib. You buy music, play mini games, answer your crib phone to compete against David Arquette, Carmen Electra, <laughs> Steve-O, Jamie Kennedy, or Funkmaster Flex. And if you remember, J.B. Kennedy, he did the movie, um, oh, what is that one? It's like Beverly Hills... Something. Uh, it's like, and then he has the Sega, no, he has the something, the GameCast. Yeah, he's like, yo, man, you got to get the GameCast. And he's like, what? The GameCast? No, there's a Dreamcast and a GameCube. There's no such thing as a GameCast. That <laughs> Malibu's totally Most Wanted, because... was that it? Huh? Malibu's Most Wanted. Ah, yes. I think that was it. But, I mean, I, I'm just pulling some of these off my shelf here. And this is just like, there's some interesting stuff in this game. I got Gun Valkyrie, House of the Dead 3, Jet Set Radio Future... Which Outrun one? 2, Otogi. Hey, Panzer the Outrun Dragon 2 right Orta. there, that's rare. Is it? How much does this cost? Uh, Look it up. I, I, I think it's Let's over it. 80 at least. At least. Get out of town. If you say it's over 80, that means it's going to show up as 200 on, on here. One thing, though, is that like that game was basically like given away. You remember when they came out? No one bought it. No one cared. 
Now everyone cares. Oh, you know what you're talking about? You're talking about OutRun 2006 Coast to Coast. That's oh, the one yeah. that's selling for hundreds. This one's like three, 30 bucks. And actually, you can get OutRun 2006 Coast to Coast on PS2 for a lot less. I don't know if I own it. Oh, but that's um, not a good version. I mean, the best version is the Xbox version. So. Exactly. And then if you check this out, I also have Sega GT Online, which is different from Sega GT 2002. I have Sega Soccer Slam. I have Shadow the Hedgehog, which I did not include that beautiful picture of Azuka looking sad. <laughs> um, Shenmue 2. I have Sonic Heroes, Sega Mega Collection Plus, almost Ooh. done here, Sonic Riders, Super Monkey Ball Deluxe, and then Toe Jam and Earl 3, which actually has DLC content, which I believe you can only get on a physical Xbox preview disc. Wow. So there's that. Which I actually picked up. I found at a game store. So look at this stack. If you're watching on video, like, look at that. These are all games from Sega. So there's tons. Um, And there's a reason for that. So Sega was the first third-party publisher, one of the first, to back the Xbox with 11 games announced at the Tokyo Game Show in the fall of 2001. Microsoft was... um, saw this as a major win as they had struggled to crack Japan as it was home to their largest competition. And maybe they shouldn't have called it the Project Midway if they wanted to make friends with Japan. Um, Both companies were eager to push online gaming and the similarities to the Xbox controllers and the Dreamcast pads, as well as integrated modem, helped Sega transition to developing Xbox games. It's worth noting that despite the Dreamcast compatibility falling through, Microsoft and Sega maintained a positive relationship with Sega of America's Peter Moore, moving to work at Microsoft, and the Sega Chihiro arcade board being based off the Xbox hardware, which mm. I believe was um, Virtua Fighter Five Online, right? Wasn't that? No, I think that was on the Lindbergh. I that think was Lindbergh. The, they made uh, Virtual Cop 3 and that uh, House of the Dead 3 on it. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sega missed the Xbox launch in America, uh, but Smilebit released two games that would coincide with the European and Japanese launch windows, those being Jet Set Radio Future, which we covered on Sega Talk, and Gun Valkyrie, which I would love to cover on a future show just because it's such an interesting game. I thought we, um, I thought then, we course, did cover it. I don't think we did. I'll have to double check, but I don't think we did. Um, and then that same year, Sega would go on to release a slew of exclusives, including a lot of the games I just listed. So... Roughly 50 games were released by Sega for the Xbox in total, more than the GameCube, but far less than the PS2. Uh, Sega also saw release of the aforementioned Sega GT JSRF bundle in America and a Panzer Dragoon Orta model of the Xbox console, which released exclusively through Sega Direct on the 19th of December 2002. Only 999 were produced. And it sold for thirty five thousand eight hundred yen. So I wish I had uh, that uh, Orta console. It's so beautiful. Oh, it's so nice. It's like it's got the black line work on the top. And I almost think you could replicate this. Like if you painted an Xbox white, did some marker like paint marker work on the Xbox, did a like water slide decal for Panzer Dragoon Orta, and did some fine line work with a pen. You could replicate this. Just become an artist, right? <laughs> Just basically, and I guess the equivalent the equivalent is the Xbox for the Xbox 360 is the R2D2, yeah. <laughs> Which I actually I own uh, two of because I bought one at a swap meet. It broke on me two months later. I was so pissed off 
tried to get it fixed. Turned out it was cheaper to buy a new one, so I bought a, a second one. And I got it here. I'm going to push the button. You can hear it. I love that thing. Yeah. Did you hear it? Yeah. I have a friend that uh, that's the one he has. I thought yeah. it was so cool. that They're the only console that ever changed the startup based on what the console's made for. Like, if you mm-hmm. have the Gears of War one, it does, like, a Gears of War, like, dun-dun. So it's, like, depending on the game or whatever it's based on, I think that's cool. I wish that more consoles did that. And then what's really cool, too, is when the disk drive opens, it says on the inside, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, like, really small as a little Easter egg. And I think what it's trying to do is it's, like, R2-D2 projecting outwards the mm. Obi-Wan Kenobi message from Princess Leia. So it's kind of meta. It's pretty cool. Um so yeah, I mean, Sega had a ton, a ton of Xbox titles. We're not going to go through all of them, but um, what would you say is like a hidden gem, and which multi-platform title do you think plays better on Xbox than any other console? Probably that Otagi, is that how you say the name? The one from From Software, that, that uh, ninja game? Mm. Um, yeah. I don't think a lot of people talk about it. Um, From Software now, obviously, is one of the biggest developers in the world. But uh, this is when they were struggling, and they did a lot of games with Sega. It's interesting. They did two games on it. Um, Hidden Gem, I mean, my favorite game, though, out of everything, is Panzer Dragoon Orda. I don't know. Something about the game mm-hmm. is just so beautiful. And... Um, I, I know yours is Jet Set Radio Future, but uh, something about Orta, like, it really captured... It was like a rail shooter when I didn't think we're ever going to have more rail shooters just be a rail shooter. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like an end of an era for, you know, for that genre. Um, as for Hidden... I mean, what played better there? Almost... I can't think of any game that did not play better on Xbox. I mean, Sonic Heroes, maybe? I mean... Um, even the monkey ball games, though, the, I think the monkey ball games played just fine anywhere. I mean, they played fine on the GameCube for sure. So I would say right, something like Sonic yeah. Heroes or Shadow or something. I mean, did Shadow come out? I yeah. would say Sonic Heroes, but yeah. You? Yeah, and I mean, you, you kind of nailed it there. So a lot of these games looked better on the Xbox because of the increased power. And as time went on, like the PS2 and GameCube versions would kind of fall to the wayside because when the 360 came out you could still play uh heroes sonic heroes and sure it was not like it had its glitch its fair share of like glitches because of the emulation but like could you play sonic heroes in hd on the wii no (laughs) you know could you play uh sonic uh shadow the hedgehog on ps3 in hd i don't think so they threw some of the ps the ps3 game or the ps2 games on the ps3 but they still look like ps2 games so it was almost like they were kind of future proofing the library just in the sense that you would have these multi-platform titles like heroes um that you know sonic fanboys would still point to the gamecube one being better for some reason but in the end of the day this is the only this is this version of sonic heroes can play on the most recent hardware, that being the Xbox 360, you know, mm. which says something. <laughs> I mean, in a day and age where we're talking about uh, Sonic Colors Ultimate, which took 10 years to finally reach, like, modern hardware, this is a game from 2003 that has yet to be released on anything but the PS3 via uh, PS2 port, which sucks, or the 360, so it's like, 
Um, and then you talk about Monkey Ball Deluxe. Sure, the controls are not as good as the GameCube, but it looks good. I mean, yeah. it plays good. It has all the content. Honestly, until Banana Mania comes out, this is kind of like my go-to right here. So, And then uh, Sonic Riders, I think, looks better on the Xbox. So again, there's just Mania Plus. It looks better on the Xbox. Um, as far as hidden gems, I'm going to say Gun Valkyrie, mm. I think, is a real hidden gem. Um, it takes a lot getting used to, but once you figure out the controls, it's a lot of fun to do this like jetpack shooting sort of thing. It's almost like another Panzer Dragoon game, just in terms of like the the art design. Yeah, I the, think the lead it's character steam- definitely. Yeah, it's more steampunk. Um, it almost reminds me of a cross between Panzer Dragoon Orta and Burning Rangers, just in how it plays and the setting. Um, and then Otogi is very good. I kind of wish I got the sequel, but I never did. And then House of the Dead 3. I, oh. What is this on? This is on PS3? Is it? Uh, yeah, I think it is on PS3 now that you say it. Finally I think on it. PS3. Yeah. So f- for a long time, this was like this, and then the Wii version was really all you could get. So again, like, and I, I also do this system here. You can kind of see here on the spines. So you see these little blue... Uh, dots you can see on the video here those are all the games that are forwards compatible on the 360 so the little blue dot tells me if i pull this from my shelf it'll play on my 360 and almost every game has one except for maybe otogi and toe jam and earl 3 um and then some games have a green dot which means that they can play on the xbox one so there aren't as many but like um I mean, Panzer Dragoon Orta alone on the Xbox One just looks amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, like, it's it's almost like the X, the Xbox backwards compatible ones are, like, the closest we're going to get to a remake or a remaster. And it almost makes me wonder why Sega isn't, like, upping their game and just putting, like, the Smilebit collection and put Orta, Jet, Jet Set Radio Future, and Gun Valkyrie on one download. I'm, you know, PS, we're not like why we're not quite there that <laughs> there with Sega and the way they love their teams. I think they like, I think <clears throat> until who knows what the contract is here with Sega and Microsoft in these games. But like the fact that we haven't even got Jet Set Radio port after a uh, future port is crazy. It's insane. Yeah, but yeah, it is insane. Um, speaking of insane, <laughs> let's talk about the launch. So I've got this lovely picture of Bill Gates hold, handing a guy what I believe is the first consumer sold console. And the guy has like a huge shit-eating grin like he just farted. Like, check it. Yeah. I have it. You don't got nothing. I like his hat. And I gotta I gotta say the one thing that makes the X, original Xbox stand out from the rest is the fact that Bill Gates was all over the place. He was almost like a mascot. Um and they just kind of removed him after the 360. It was more like the Steve Ballmer show, um, which, again, you know, he's, like, pulling pulling his leg tendons, jumping around. So I don't know if that's a good trade-off. But uh, prior to launch, Microsoft actually hoped to ship 1 to 1.5 million units by the end of the year with weekly shipments of 100,000 units. However, at launch, unit sales surpassed 1 million in just three weeks, easily hitting 1.5 million by the end of 2001. The Xbox Xbox also saw over three games selling per unit at launch, which was one of the highest ever attachment rates. By April 2002, 
over half of Xbox owners had purchased Halo. I believe it. Which I think, <laughs> what, what was the Shenmue attachment rate that they wanted? Like, if everyone who owned a Dreamcast bought Shenmue, they would break even or something? It was even crazier. I think they wouldn't even make a, a profit. Like, they really needed the Dream... Like, the Shimu to literally sell Dreamcasts. Like, they, they that was the idea behind it. But... It's insane. Yeah. It's insane. Um, but, yeah, yeah so you, you've got people going to the store, buying an Xbox, and buying three games on average, which is a big deal. Like, they're spending close to the amount of the console again. Which is That's crazy. That's like 60, 60, and 60. Um... Because most people that I knew Mm -hmm. only owned Halo. Like, literally. That (laughs) and one, maybe one game. But, like, it was always, like, Halo was always there. So the half makes sense. Well, let's... And I'm going to kind of break from the notes for a second. I want to see what the Xbox launch lineup was. I never put it in the notes here because this is more a Sega focus, if anything. Um, It was, like, four games? So our, our dear friends at Kotaku, they actually have... A list of the so here's the Xbox launch. Let me run through them real quick. So, so uh, for, what's that? I was gonna say Nintendo has Mario, Sony's got Crash Bandicoot, Sega has Sonic, and obviously Xbox has Blink. So how many <laughs> copies did that make? Like a million, right? It was launch. It was launch game, right? <laughs> well, you'll you'll see here actually what the what the real mascot was. So we have four by four Evolution Two. That's the mascot. Which actually was a Dreamcast Air Force Delta Storm. Had a version on Dreamcast. Arctic Thunder, which I guess is like Hydro Thunder. Cell Damage, um, cell-shaded racing game. Dark Summit, which I think was a shooter. Dead or Alive 3, which I think is probably one of the ones that sold with a lot of copies. Oh, yeah. Fusion Frenzy. Halo Combat Evolved, which a lot of people were buying. Mad Dash Racing. Madden NFL 2002. NASCAR Heat 2002. NASCAR Thunder 2002. NHL Hits. 2002, Oddworld, Munch's Odyssey. Remember that? Yeah. That was wild. Um, Project Gotham Racing, which is awesome. That's like a must-own. Um, Shrek, <laughs> which I remember at the time was being sold as like, it looks like the movie. Uh, Test Drive, Off-Road, Wide Open, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2X, and then Trans World Surf. So as you can see here, it, it's like half sports games. It's like driving, fly, like I would argue driving and flying are almost like a sports game because it's racing. Yeah. Um, so really you have you have like a lot of driving, a lot of flying, a lot of racing, one or two fighting, no RPGs. No. Which... Is there an RPG? I mean... Besides Western not, ones? Uh, there was Blue Dragon, but that was Xbox much later. Oh, that was 360. That was much, much later. Yeah, so it was almost... But I guess the closest you could get would maybe be Oddworld, Oddworld Munch's Odyssey mm-hmm. and Project Gotham Race, Racing, which are, like, offbeat, appealing maybe to kind of people who like more simulators. I don't know. It's it's a strange lineup, but I, if I was going to the store and I had to buy three or I had the money to buy three, I would definitely get Halo, uh, Dead or Alive 3, and probably... E- Project Gotham Racing just because I would probably know at the time that it was basically Metropolis Street Racer. <laughs> you know? Yeah, same team. Um, and who, who did the music for that? Was that R- Richard Jacques? I think he did. I'm not 100% sure. I haven't really looked into it, but yeah. Uh, he's actually, I just saw an article today. I think he's doing the music for the Guardians of the Galaxy video game. Oh, man. 
That's weird. So, isn't that's weird. Guardians of the Galaxy just like a mixtape from the sixties? Like, isn't that what the movies are all like? Is he just gonna like pick the songs for like a mixtape? No, I don't know. But there's been a lot of articles here saying that he's scoring it, but then I think he's also picking the soundtrack music or helping select it. Um, so I guess that's a big big deal for him. So good for him. Um. Yes, I mean, you know, not bad. But then when we get to this, so listen to this. Despite the strong sales, Microsoft struggled to make a profit due to the high manufacturing costs. This is insane. Selling at $300, an Xbox cost $425 to produce. The company lost $125 per console. So if you imagine you're selling three three games maybe on average... You're not getting sixty bucks back for every game. You're getting a portion of that, so you're probably Oof. make either breaking even or losing money on every console if you're making profit off of the games. Where you know that's where it is. It's in the hardware. By its manufacturing um, discontinuing in 2005, the Xbox had sold a total of 24 million units worldwide, 16 million which were sold in North America. These numbers fell short of Microsoft's predicted 50 million units, and it failed to match PlayStation 2's lifetime sales of 106 million units at the time, although it did surpass the GameCube and the Dreamcast's lifetime sales of 21 million and 10.6, respectively. And in the end, Microsoft lost $4 billion on the Xbox (laughs) and only managed to turn a profit by 2004. (sighs) Uh, well, the Xbox represented an overall loss from Microsoft, Gates and Ballmer and other executives still saw it as a positive result for the company as it brought them into the console marketplace against doubts raised by the industry and led to Microsoft's further development of other consoles in the Xbox family. So entering the console marketplace, it's a gamble. Do you think it paid off for Microsoft in the long run? Looking back at this from the 2021 perspective. 100%. There's so much things Microsoft screwed over, screwed up in the last, I don't know, 20 years. Like mm-hmm. the idea that they didn't take the iPhone seriously. They didn't really put that much effort into it, like a mobile OS. Um, so many mistakes. This is like one of the things that they finally have where they're like, look, we have an actual base built here, right? Like an entertainment center, like... Think about it this way. How many times do you interact with Microsoft products like you used to? Like back in the day, you couldn't get away from uh, you couldn't get away from um, PCs. Now you can use – there's more Mac. There's more Mac support. There's more Linux support. Mm-hmm. Android is Linux. Uh, you know what I mean? So it's like most of the operating systems used today are not Microsoft because of phones, right? So they screwed right. up a lot. They lost a huge market share in that space. So they, so they're smart for having the Xbox brand at least still, and it's still in a positive exactly. light. The Series X is still liked a lot by gamers. I think mm-hmm. it's going to do mass. Uh, it's going to do well, especially with Game Pass. So I, this is a good idea for them, obviously overall. What do you Absolutely. think? Absolutely, like. I think any other company, this would have been really difficult for them, but Microsoft was one of the few at the time who had the money to take the loss because, as you saw with the 360, it started to turn around. And then I think their heads got so big that when the Xbox One came out, they stumbled. And I think there were some good ideas with the Xbox One, but they were presented poorly. So, for example, I mean, this isn't an Xbox One show, but they would say, I remember it was like, 
the DRM thing, they immediately when people hear that, they're like, nope, nope. Like, you see that today. People are like, you want to play Sonic Mania? It's on PC. No, it has DRM. I'm like, it's a fun game, though. Like, I'm sorry you have to be connected to the internet. Isn't your computer always connected to the internet? It's not even that, though, actually. The DRM on the PC, it's like people made up stuff that it's always checking your hard drive, so it kills your hard drive. But then now they did tests saying it doesn't. Some people saying that it's like 1% slower on your hardware. So I get that people don't like DRM. And, you know, Microsoft sold it. Game Pass, you're not even owning a game. At least, at least with Xbox One, you own your game. Like now, it's like they're giving you this digital right. rental service that I, I know you're kind of uh, on and off on. You watch movies on digital uh, movie services, but you know you have your own backup of your own movies, right? Because you can't right. trust these digital catalogs. Right. My my number one thing is I buy the physical disc that comes with the digital code, so I always have the disc on hand. Um, but yeah, with the one, like they were pushing this concept where you could go to a friend's house, log into your account on their machine and play your entire library, even if it was on disc. And I loved that concept, but then people were like, oh, this will kill used games because if you, you can't sell a disc anymore. Mm. And I was thinking, well, yeah, but we haven't heard the whole story yet. There might be a, a way that they can decouple it from your account. And then the disc is again, the disc, you know what I mean? Like there's more to it. And I think that was kind of a cool concept, but just kind of died. Um, the closest thing I can think of with that, but there's no physical is with my Apple account. I can log into any Apple product and immediately access my entire library of movies, TV Mm. games, like on the fly. And I think that's what Microsoft was looking to do, but they sold it in the wrong way. Oh, Um, terrible. And like right. the PR on now, it, the way they acted, yeah. too, like I don't know if you've seen those clips online when people, they were like talking down to like journalists, like, "Look, this is the future. If you don't like it, it's like, come on, bro, you got to be like, you can't <laughs> be telling people like when you pitch something in design work, and some girl goes, actually, Barry, I don't like the green. You don't go, look, honey, you sit down. <laughs> look, One babe. day you'll go to college right. and you'll figure out design work." <laughs> <laughs> But I, I do think they've turned it around. They're making massive money. I love the idea of Game Pass. I'm one of those people that subscribe to it, even though some months I'm not really utilizing it. But mm. it's great to always have it there if I want to jump on and play some online game or play it. Like, there's a new game that comes out I would never buy. But then I'm like, well, I can try it for free, play it for like an hour, and then say I tried it. So I do that a lot more now. I play a lot more games that I never would otherwise. Um but let's talk about a different region now. We've got this beautiful picture of Bill Gates Uh-oh. seemingly holding a hamburger. Seems. And seemingly. A, seems. And a beautiful, beautiful um, sky game blue. pad. Like, I love it. I want a sky blue. It reminds me of Is, the, uh, the, the background, the, like a blue screen of death. Yeah, the, the background's um, actually taken right directly from OutRun Sky. They just clicked it, <laughs> they got the color, and then they just... Right. The most yeah. beautiful blue. Uh, so, meanwhile, in Japan, Microsoft, they were hoping to sell, uh, ship 6 million Xbox consoles by June 2002. They sold the However, the system 50 million, had I only bet. sold, no, they only <laughs> sold a total of 190,000 units in the region by April that year, two months after the system's launch in February. The Xbox failed to see a single title reach the top 50 best selling video <gasps> games in Japan. Despite Sega's best efforts, ultimately the Xbox 
only sold 450,000 units as of November 2011. Wow. Factors believed to have contributed to the console's poor market presence included its large physical size, which contrasted with the company's em- the country's emphasis on more compact designs, and a lack of Japanese-designed games to aid consumer interest. Um, I remember at the time Xbox Nation, which is a magazine I love. It's from the former official Dreamcast magazine guys. I'm one of the probably one of the only people in the world that own like a whole library of them to the point where the former editor-in-chief emailed me and was like, can I buy that off you? And I was like, no. Because <laughs> it took me forever to build this magazine collection. But that's um, cool. <laughs> they had a great feature where they would talk about Xbox in Japan. And time and time again, they were like, it's not doing good. And they would tell stories about how the Xbox was sold like porn, where it was put in like a discreet bag um wasn't there that was picture kind of a... that went around with those japanese girls laughing at the dreamcast i mean at the xbox console yeah there was that and then there was also um stories of uh people saying they didn't want to buy it because it was sloped at the top and so things would wobble if they set it on top which is such a stupid comment to make but if you're in japan i guess it makes sense um so do you think ultimately the Xbox was a mistake for Sega? Do you think they should have focused on multi-platform games? What do you, uh, you, what, Sega, you think it was a mistake doing multi-platform games? Is that what you're asking? Do you think it was a mistake for Sega to commit to 11 exclusive games at <laughs> Tokyo Game Show um, um, when they really could have focused on putting like Orta on all three consoles? You know, I don't know if Orta or, could even run on other consoles. That would have been like... That's the weird part, right? Like, think about it. Like, how right. many consoles do you think could run Orta? Um, I, you know what? I think it was a mistake in the, in, <clears throat> in the long term because Microsoft kind of, like... I wouldn't say they abandoned what they were doing, but they totally abandoned, like, that marketing they had. Like, they had this marketing where, like, anything went, right? And then they, like... Right. When they found out, like, sports titles, Halo, shooters... They kind of became like a – this is a console PC. That's how I felt it because a lot of the people that I knew that p- paid for it were never going to play Jet Set Radio on it. They were, all, they were only buying it for Halo, a racing game, and maybe that one fighting game that nobody played. I forgot what it was called. Um, the one where they kind of looked like a ripoff of Mortal Kombat and they had like a guy with uh, face paint on the cover. So I remember my friends had that one. They would play it all the time. But uh, – I don't remember, like, the audience was the PC audience. That's what I've noticed, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, what do you think? you think it was a good idea? Because I I think Order could have done well if it was multi-platform, maybe on PS2 because of so many people buying it. Right. Because I don't see Japanese people going like, oh, I'm buying big big old Xbox just to play... uh, Yeah, right. It's it's hard to say because I feel like... If they had taken Jet Set Radio Future, Future and Orta and kind of dumbed them down a little bit graphically so that they could go on all three, it would then make these games, I think, Not as less, impressive. less impressive and less less memorable than they ended up being. However, having said that, like looking at the stack, like I think cancel Toe Jam and Earl 3 or make it multi-platform. Don't make it an exclusive. It did not need to happen like that. I think Otogi, like, I guess if you're publishing it and it's from from software, that's not a big deal. But, like, Monkey Ball, multi-platform. Sonic Heroes, multi-platform. Shenmue 2 should have 
never been on Exclusive. Xbox. Just just like, make it a Dreamcast game and don't do this. This was stupid to put the sequel to a game that isn't on the Xbox. You know? It was stupid. a terrible move. And they thought, like, the thing that was the worst about that was that the future of Shimmy was literally on the hands of a console that literally had... 50% of its users as Windows fanboys that only play PC games to a game that they couldn't even play the first game of. Right. Yeah. It's just idiotic. But then but then going back to that, you've got like some more multi-platform like Sega Soccer, Slam, Shadow. Like that makes sense. But then you're doing all of these racing games only on Xbox. Like you can't do this uh, with Sega GT and, and OutRun on PS2. Like why not? You know, it's so it's just... Little the, little decisions that the they funny, could have made, like cancel gun cancel gun Valkyrie that never needed to be made. The, the, I don't know why they okayed this. Yeah, I mean, I, looking back, I love the game, but if you put me in charge at Sega and said, "Hey, we're making a," and it's funny, it's exclusive. They never put the exclusive at the top, but hey, we're we're smile a bit. We made Orta and Jet Set Radio Future, and we're making this game. No, I, I think <laughs> you know? early. No. I think early on, Microsoft wanted Sega fans in Japan to buy into the console, but like they should have seen the history. Japanese audiences bought into Sega during the Saturn era, and then when they tried right. to get them to buy in on Dreamcast, they're like, nah, we're good. And then now Xbox is like, how about buy into us? Nah, we're good. Right. And, and I think I'll answer the question I, I teased at answering at the beginning. So like, do I think the Xbox is like the Dreamcast successor or the Dreamcast 2? Um, no, I mean, I don't, I don't from the sense that this, it's, it's like when it's not a Sega product, it's mm -hmm. an, a Microsoft product. They maybe stole some ideas from Sega and made it easy for Sega fans to move over to the console or Sega developers to, to develop for the console. Cause it kind of had similar ideas, but I think it's kind of unfair to the Dreamcast to treat the Xbox like it's the true successor just as it's unfair to the Xbox to treat the Dreamcast like that was what came before. Because you look at the story behind this, not once was Bill Gates um, and the DirectX team going, we need to make the new Dreamcast. No, They were saying, we need to make a home PC that plays our games. And the only reason they really went after Sega was to get Japanese, you know, Japanese games for their console so that they could break through the market in Japan, which they never did. Um, I kind of feel the same way about it that I do when people say, oh, um, Bomb, Bomb Rush Cyberfunk is basically the successor to Jet Set Radio. And I'm like, well, it's not because no one who worked on Jet Set Radio worked on it. It's a fan game, and that's great. But let's not act like the, the hard work put into one game somehow slides over and applies to this other game. I just, I, I feel like it's, it's not like I'm trying to insult Xbox or I'm trying to insult uh, Bomb Rush, Cyberpunk, Cyberpunk, whatever it's called. But like, I just feel like, can things be good on their own without being treated like they're the sequel to or the, the like successor to <laughs> something? I think um, I think a lot of people like the idea of talking about these games like, hey, is this the next whatever? And I think I know what right. people are talking about, though, when they say, like, it felt like it was another Dreamcast early on. Mm. I think I know what they mean because, I mean, me and you went, went through this, right? We were gamers during this era, and it was like 
Peter right. Moore is going to the Xbox. Uh, the marketing at, in the beginning was very samey. The the even the magazine people that we got all our info from directly from Sega, literally the you know Xbox Nation people were Dreamcast right. magazine people. Uh, they would have these big old like Orta Sega Xbox uh, covers that were beautiful. So it kind of made us really feel like maybe this is the next Dreamcast. Like this is where I should jump on. And I think that's what Microsoft really wanted from Sega. They wanted the consumer base in America that they uh, cultivated. Um, but right. they kind of like left it. Like I don't think I've ever felt say uh, my Microsoft feel like they. Tr- the last time I felt like they even tried to get Japanese audiences was during the 360 when they did the Miss Walker game. Um, be- besides that, I'm looking at their exclusives right now, and I'm like trying to think of like I remember liking Fusion Frenzy, like the mini game. I'm not saying it reminded me of anything, but like they had some weird games. Like we t- we made fun of Blinks, but like the idea that they actually worked with somebody from Sonic Team to create a, pla- uh, right. a mascot platformer, little things like this, I can see why people would think it. To me, like right. you say, it's its own product, and when it matured, you could really see that they kind of like pushed the direct that whole idea that they're a Dreamcast too. Like it kind of vanished with Halo being so big, you know. But right, and I and I think I should clarify. Like I'm not upset. People can have that feeling. Like it's like it has a lot of concepts from the Dreamcast and carries over really well. But like Xbox is Xbox, and there's there's something good and special about that just like how playstation is playstation uh nintendo is nintendo you know like uh let's let's give the xbox team a little credit because in the end they were consult they were like asking questions to sega and maybe borrowing a few things but in the end of the day xbox is xbox oh you know it's it is what it is um, so let's get into the main event here. Like, like this is the main event. We've been going for an hour and 45 minutes. But um, I want to read uh, what Joaquin uh, wanted us to read here. And then we can answer his question. So a little Segabits Q&A. Um, so he said, let me start with saying how much I enjoyed listening to you guys over the past month. It's been an absolute blast being able to hear uh, too much n- nostalgia while I work has made the days go by quicker than I would like, and for that I thank you. My question for you gentlemen, who how fancy, is about the ever-growing want for Xbox to acquire Sega. Now, I have a feeling you guys might, which way you guys might lean, but I would like to make a case for how this would be incredible. The history between these two companies is apparent and can be traced back to the original Xbox that had so many Sega exclusives, and for former Sega kids like myself, it's the console I turn to with the demise of the console division. I think about the benefits and see very little negative. For instance, Xbox has the capital, the resources, and most of all the interest of making Sega great again. Can you guys imagine uh, RGG? Uh, with the Xbox game budget and what they could create, properties like Golden Axe, Shinobi, Panzer Dragoon, the two companies are really hand-in-glove on what they could offer each other, JRPGs, mascots, and family-friendly titles. Not to mention, arguably, the two greatest PC developers out there today, while Xbox offers the opportunity to really prolificate The other reason I would love for this to happen is for the other sharks currently swimming in the gaming pool, like Tencent and Embracer, and I would hate to see them get Sega, as I feel those companies are on a spending, are on a, 
speeding railroad off a cliff. I would like your feedback uh, as two Sega pros on not just your feelings, but what franchises you would like to see return and by what teams. For me personally, I'd give the Coalition Golden Axe. Uh, then wow. I can die happy. There is so much more I can say, but without having this go too long-winded, I'll end by po- pointing to Bethesda to see how they have been allowed to work independently and how well that deal is turning out to be. Is this deal even possible? I know Sammy separated the Sega division from the others to not be so intrinsically intertwined with the market cap of $3 billion and Pachinko Machines not doing as well as thanks to COVID-19. Is there a chance? Thanks again. Oof. Well, I mean, if... Okay, so let's say that they do buy it, and he was talking about (laughs) what game studios, do you want them to do whatever? Tango Gameworks is uh, led by Shinji Mikami, the guy that did uh, Mm -hmm. Vanquish, so we could get a Vanquish too, maybe, if that happened. That'd be pretty sick. Um, (laughs) Uh, I like the the Arcane Studios that did Dishonored series, so I would love to see them work mm-hmm. on, like, if they ever did anything to work on, like, a, a Sega IP. I don't want them to do Shinobi or anything, but working with some Japanese developers would be cool. Um, I also like, um, what's that studio called? Um, I'm trying to remember their name. Um, oh, Double Fine Productions that did The Cave, what we talked about for Sega. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're owned by Sega, and they do uh, Psychonauts and stuff, so... They have some humor in their game, so I would love to see Sega work with them on other projects. I think that would be pretty cool. As for them being bought by Sega, you know what? Early on, when this whole third-party thing happened, I always wished that Sega would have just been bought out by any company. And I was like, Microsoft, for the same ideas, you know? They have so -hmm. much capital. They kind of already had that contract and all these games coming out. So I was like, you might as well make it official and, like, uh, have all the Sega fans already, like, this is it. This is the only way right. you can buy your Sega games. Now, though, I- I'm kind of, like, not really into it because just because of how easy it is for third parties to port all their games on all the, all the consoles, we don't have that whole, like, DS, Wii separation where they had so much issues trying to put their games on every single console. Like, they had separate teams sometimes working on these games to right. get them out. Yeah. So that... Arrow's already been dead. So to me, I don't think we need to go exclusive for them to, for Xbox to get all their games. So I would say I would love to see them independent just because I'm a big Sega fan. But if there mm-hmm. was any company that would buy them, I mean, Sony, Nintendo, Tencent, I definitely don't want them to go to a Chinese company. Like, I just want to have them have as much freedom as they can. And if that means Microsoft, right. then I would go with Microsoft. It's whoever gives them the most freedom, obviously. Hmm. You? Interesting. Um, well, I mean, my, my take is that if you see, if, my, if you look at Microsoft and see a lot of holes, like see that they're missing things, then I could see them going to buy Sega. But like looking at the things that are brought up here um, uh, by Joaquin, like, like, sure, you could list off Golden Axe, Shinobi, Panzer Dragoon, but Microsoft does not seem to have any interest in those types of games, as evidenced by the fact that they are not trying to fill those holes. Like, they tried to make Crimson Dragon. It failed. They're not going to do it again with Panzer Dragoon. Uh, Shinobi, they've kind of already got um, their own kind of action games. They're good. Golden Axe, again, they've got their own action games. They're kind of 
good in that area. So it's almost like if something's missing from Microsoft that Sega could fill the hole for and you see Microsoft scrambling to try to emulate it, then I would say, okay, it makes sense for them to buy Sega. Uh, a good a good comparison here would be, and I always bring up Star Wars, but um, with Disney, they were trying really hard for a long time, like for a good five, ten years, to make a boy brand, like a, a movie series for boys. They tried it with... Um, what about me? Uh, what's the one? What about uh, me? What's that? I said, what about me? I'm a man. I'm not a boy. I need something, too. No. Well, man, man brands. It sounds weird. Man brand. Um, they did the Lone Ranger movie. They did um, uh, John Carter of Mars. Oh my they God, I did. About that. They did all these movies, and then guess what they were trying to do? They were trying to make the next Star Wars. They bought. They bought Lucasfilm, and then they tasked Lucasfilm with making only Star Wars. If you look at Lucasfilm before that. George Lucas owned the company, I mean, obviously, and he was making uh, Tuskegee Airmen movies. He was making documentaries. He was making, like, CG fairy movies. He was making what he wanted. And I feel like um, if Microsoft had wanted Sonic, Golden Axe, Shinobi, Panzer Dragoon, they would have been attempting to do that on their own, but they're not, which is why I would think that if, if Microsoft bought Sega... They would just let those franchises either die or they would just feature like um, emulated old versions on Game Pass. And that's about it. That's actually, um, I mean, I would actually like to see that. I mean, if Microsoft but, paid Sega to put all their franchises on, like right, the old right, right. stuff and on there. Right. And here's my thing. Rather than hoping and praying that Microsoft acquires Sega, I think it makes far more sense to say, I, I really hope Microsoft signs a deal with Sega to bring more of their games to Game Pass, either exclusively or to open it up so that we have stuff like Jet Set Radio Future, um, Gun Valkyrie, just as we do with Panzer Dragoon Orta, as remastered Xbox or Xbox 360 titles for the service. And I definitely think there's something there, because as we saw with Sega Ages on the Switch... It kind of came and went. Mm -hmm. I don't know why Sega and Microsoft aren't working together to say, hey, let's do a series of um, ports that only are on Game Pass. So there's no boxed edition. Like it, it sucks for a collector like me, but if the only way that I'm ever going to see like OutRun 2 again is by it being a Game Pass exclusive... I say go for it. Like, put a massive library of Sega games on Game Pass. And you're kind of seeing that with um, Yakuza. Like, Yakuza is basically a digital series on the Xbox outside of um, Like a Dragon, which finally got a physical release. And I think uh, Lost Judgment is getting a physical release, too, on the Xbox. Mm. But it's, it's interesting to see that Sega's starting to kind of do that sort of work with Microsoft in the sense that they're doing a lot of digital exclusives for games that are multi-platform on on PlayStation. So um I, I will I think say it's my an last, interesting idea. I will say my I last like worry about the whole but, thing would be like Microsoft kind of signs deals with developers sometimes and they have like a vision and if their vision doesn't go the way they want sometimes they just cancel they just like destroy the deal like there was a deal a long time ago with Treasure Games, for example, where they were re-releasing some of the Treasure's games on Xbox Live. 
And the mm-hmm. whole idea from what I read in interviews back then, I have to double check. I'm not really sure. I don't have the notes with me, obviously. But the deal was supposed to be that they were going to make a sequel to uh, – what was that game? Ik- Ikigura. And mm-hmm. it never happened. They never talked about it. I'm assuming the Ikigura sales weren't good enough for Microsoft to go forward with that project. The other one was Crimson Dragon, which they promised that it obviously didn't come out the way they wanted. But And then there was that Platinum Games game where they canceled the mid-development because they were switching uh, <laughs> focus. You know what I mean? So that's my mm-hmm. only problem with Microsoft where like if as a company they have to switch focus – they'll be okay with like burying every developer behind them. If you know, like they close a lot of studios. I mean, that would be my only worry. I'm not saying Sega doesn't close studios. They definitely do. But uh, yeah, that would be my only worry that they would switch focus and be like, you know what? Actually, we don't need Sega. Let's just close up Sonic team and move on. (laughs) I mean, it it could very well happen. Plus, you know, uh, yeah, we might see some franchises go away. Would would we see Monkey Ball Banana Mania? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think that would happen. I don't think we'd say Puyo Puyo Tetris. I don't think we'd see um, Streets of Rage Four. The At- I don't think we would see that many Atlas games. You know, I I think they would probably I, would they be interested in that? They might sell Atlas off. You know, I don't think they have an interest in it. Um, you know what's funny well, about that, these like old yeah. IPs right now, like. We talk about them like they're kind of right now. They are kind of useless. Some of these old IPs. I mean, they're not being they're not making money. Some of them make money off of merch, but the fact mm-hmm. that like I think a lot of these studios want to sit on all these IPs they own, especially legacy companies like Konami, uh, Sega, Namco, because they they're hoping mm-hmm. that in the future movies will be based off of video games the way that comic book characters get their own movies, and they're hoping that one day they'll be worth something when like. Uh, Guardians of the you know Guardians of the Galaxy wasn't worth anything for my Marvel now it's like a multi billion dollar franchise or you exactly know, Suicide mm-hmm. Squad people like Polka Dot Man is yeah. now a character in a blockbuster movie <laughs> yeah 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 well I mean that that pretty much does it um, the last thing we really have to do is get into Patreon memories I don't have any final words. Um, <laughs> do you? Do I? No. You talked for two hours. So I know, right? So if you support us at any level on Patreon, you can have your memories read. And it's a gift and a curse because I will read everything you type, which means Daniel Andres must be the happiest boy in town. So he, he wrote, oh boy, Daniel. He wrote a lot of stuff. Damn, Daniel. Um,. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, micro machine this. Get real fast. Remember the guy who talks really fast, like micro machine. That guy. Um, holy smokes! Where do I even begin with this? Well, it all began in the faithful year of 2006. I was 12 years old at the time, and my older brother had just gotten an Xbox 360 around Christmas time. Fast forward a little while later, and I had rented a copy of Sonic 06 from Blockbuster. For a while, that was my only Sega game that I played on Xbox. Not such a fun time for me as a first impression. Ha ha ha. I, I added that in. A couple of years after that, I got to play-slash-own Sonic Unleashed for the 360, and I fell in love with it. I also met a really close friend of mine around that time, who I'm still friends with this today, to this day, and I am shortly approaching high school. 
Throughout my entire high school career, there were a lot of Sega titles for me to check out, both physical and digital, but they were mostly Sonic games, like Sonic's Ultimate Genesis Collection and the All-Stars Racing, which don't 100% count, but you get the idea. I love those games dearly and had a lot of fun with them. I also played Generations for the first time on the 360, and that was a blast. I also... I was also great seeing Sonic Adventure games getting re-released on the system and Sonic CD's remakes. Basically, all I had was a Wii and 360 throughout middle and high school, and I mostly played a lot of Sonic games throughout them. Uh, Ever since I was around 8 years old, I've always wanted to play an original Xbox, but never got the chance to. The game that I really wanted to check out was actually Blinks the Time Sweeper, which I think Naoto Oshima had a hand in making. He did. Yeah. Anyway... Fast forward to 2012, Um, it was near the end of my high school career and I had just discovered online gaming. The game that I always dreamed of and wanted to play, Shenmue. Um, Shortly after I graduated from high school, I picked up a Dreamcast right away. I finally got to play it. After I finished it, I had just to get a copy of Shenmue 2. And so here we finally are, how to get the original Xbox. It was that coming Christmas of 2013, I think I already owned a copy of the game, but no Xbox which was fine with me, the 360 could play Shenmue 2, but something unexpected happened. That Christmas Eve, one of my younger cousins gave me his original Xbox, and just like that, he didn't want to play it anymore, so he gave it to me. And so began my journey of obtaining Sega titles released just for that system. The next couple of years, I played Halo, Halo 2, and played the hell out of Shenmue 2. The next games I got for the system were Sega GT, Jet Set Radio Future, I mostly focused on JSRF because I really, really liked it. And so I continued to collect them, and now I have them all. (laughs) I I think the next one I picked up was Panzer Dragoon Orta. I honestly can't remember, but I I had to have them. Uh, I felt really happy and excited when I got Toe Jam and Earl 3, OutRun 2, and oh yeah, I still have OutRun... I still don't have OutRun 2006, so I don't think you ever will. Oh... It's crazy how many Dreamcast and Saturn-related sequel games got released on the Xbox. It would have been neat to see Dreamcast cross-compatibility. I really wish it did, since it was uh, Okawa's dying wish. Really? <laughs> his dying wish? Like, his mom is like... My son! I should my have... wife! Come closer! Can you imagine? What is it, Okawa? What did he die of? <laughs> Lung cancer? Death. Oh, Sadness. Death? Oh, just... Okay. I thought he died of like my a... My dying wish! Is for cross compatibility with the Xbox. Are you sure your wish is not to not die? No, 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 no. Good F- father, the chip—it was it never happened. It was fake. No, <laughs> no. And he died. He died of a broken heart, George. I'm pretty sure you didn't um, talk. Anyway, to me, sorry. Sure. Anyway, sorry I, that I really got into it here. The Xbox has been a huge part of my life ever since beginning in my middle school days. The 360 was a third console that I never got, uh, never got to own in my life, and that was coming off the GameCube. And yeah, I got to experience a lot of Genesis games for the first time on it. I love the Xbox, I love Sega, and Xbox wouldn't feel the same to me without some awesome Sega platforms we played on it. When Sonic Rangers comes out, I will be picking it up for my Xbox. Well, I'll give a little heart-like for you on our, our Patreon there. We also have Nicholas Schaefer... Um, who keeps it a little shorter. First of all, full confession, I have never owned an Xbox, uh, but I came very close. After the Dreamcast, I put the other systems side-by-side comparing the Sega game offerings. Sony was instantly out. The Xbox was a strong contender, but the GameCube had Sonic. 
That said, I had borrowed an Xbox and played a lot of Sega GT and the Mega Collection to experience the different bonus features. I did the same with the 360 for the first time, and I'm planning on getting a Series S simply for backwards compatibility to play the, all the OG Xbox and 360 uh, Sega games that didn't seem to get Switch ports and Sony seems not to care about. Uh, it is about time that I show Xbox some support with all the years of support they have given Sega. And then finally we have, I've never seen this person comment before, Hams. Uh, they said, after Dreamcast, I turned to Xbox. It was the new home of Sega, I guess. Jet Set Radio Future, Panzer Dragoon Orta, Shenmue 2, and OutRun 2 were all great. <laughs> so that does it. You know what's crazy? Um, the GameCube had a, a handle on it, but the Xbox didn't when the Xbox is the one that needed the handle. <laughs> Sorry. You want me to end the episode? Please. <laughs> All right, I'll see you guys next time on Sega Talk. Bye. Bye.